0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of
1: the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: So, as far as creating work for yourself, you really just got to put yourself out there, I think, and and do your best to try and create something that's well it's about creating really that's what we're here Mm -hmm. to do it's about creating and however you want to do that however you feel you can contribute to to the arts and to people wanting to come back to theater or movies or music or singing whatever it is I think you just got to put it out there be brave and put it out there any way you can.
0: You're listening to the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. My name's Justin, or you can call me Stin. On today's episode, we're returning to the opera with Shane Placentino to discuss what exactly it is a revival director does. Shane holds an extensive history in dance with the Sydney Dance Company and behind the scenes with Opera Australia, and now he's chatting exclusively with us about his next project. Don't forget you can follow all of our news, reviews, and giveaways on our socials. Follow us on Instagram at Theatre AUS, TikTok at Theatre underscore thoughts, or on our YouTube channel. So as usual, sit back, relax, and switch on those thoughts for a new episode of the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Theatre Thoughts podcast. We're introducing uh, today... A man who's had a wide range of experience in both ballet, dance, and the opera. Currently working um, on the revival of Madama Butterfly, which is coming to the Opera House from the 29th of June to the 30th of July. Please welcome to the podcast, Shane Placentino. Welcome.
1: Hi, Justin. How are you?
0: Good, great, actually. Yeah, it's really, um, really good day today. You know, really positive mood. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so you're currently in rehearsals with Madama Butterfly uh, for Opera Australia. How's things going?
1: Uh, we haven't exactly started rehearsals yet. I'm in preparation mode for it. Uh, we start rehearsals on the 6th of um, June. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm really keen to get into rehearsals. No,
0: this should um, be really good. Um, I'm going to be honest. My experience with opera is still relatively new. The first opera I saw was, um, was Turandot at the Opera House this year. And I was wowed. By it, in all honesty, I went and I was like, you know what? My goal for this year, for twenty twenty two, was see an opera. Finally, see an opera. Not fan of the opera. I need to see like a proper opera. So I went to see Turandot, and I was gobsmacked. I was absolutely gobsmacked by it. It wasn't like I thought I'd be held back that it wasn't, you know, in uh, in English it didn't matter whatsoever, and just the amount of like spectacle that went into it. I was shocked. Do you normally find that with people who are new to the opera scene?
1: Definitely. I mean, it's, uh, opera is grand in, in, in all its scale with the, the voices, the music, uh, the orchestra, the sets, the lighting, the amount of people alone to put on one is, is huge. So, I think when people um, come to see the opera live, it's, a, it's such an all-encompassing, immersive experience and it does leave people gobsmacked a lot of the time
0: yeah it's it's fascinating it's a fascinating experience so um i definitely would go again so i definitely am keen to see more let's quickly talk about you and um and your background then so um you're the revival director of madama butterfly um which you also worked as the assistant on the premiere of this production um created by graham murphy and janet vernon in 2019 so you've had experience with it before and you've just revived now i'm gonna butcher this name and i'm so sorry in advance uh <laughs> lohengrin lohengrin
1: lohengrin that's
0: uh, second time excellent <laughs> um in melbourne and then you worked with uh, Jonas Kaufman in the titular role. Now he's a high demand and um, in a high demand tenor. Uh, what was it like working with him? Phenomenal.
1: I was worried, you know uh, little old Shane from Adelaide working with the greatest tenor in the world at the moment, but really he his legacy is is not only going to be just his singing, which is phenomenal on its own, but him as an artist. And a collaborator and um, very, very lovely man who did anything I asked him to do. He, he really was, as long as we're making the story clear and as long as we're, you know, pushing that story, um, he was willing and able and absolutely lovely. So, his legacy as an artist, I think, is is going to really be up there with his singing.
0: Yeah, fascinating. so, and I, I like what you said, little old Adelaide me. <laughs> um, so, actually, on that, so let's look at your background. So, you've had extensive experience with the, uh, the Australian Ballet School and the Sydney Dance Company. So, you graduated from the Australian Ballet School in 1990, and you were accepted into the Australian Ballet in 1991, and then you joined the Sydney Dance Company in 2002. So what was that always your dream to be um a dancer in all these massive companies
1: i don't know if it was early on when i was uh, a wee lad in in adelaide i don't think i really thought so much about joining the australian ballet i just really enjoyed going every saturday morning uh, to dance class and um and just doing my thing really i was i mean it's it's lucky being the only male amongst all these these uh, female so you get sort of a lot more attention than, yeah. uh, than, than everyone else. So I liked that attention and so I kept going really and then um, as I kept going, I you know, several teachers said to me, you, you're really quite good at this maybe you should think about auditioning for the Australian Ballet School and I thought yeah sure, I'll audition and then uh, the form that came with the audition was you could Tick this little box that said audition only, uh, sorry, for experience only. So okay. that meant that you were just doing the audition for experience, but you wouldn't really go. They wouldn't think of you as going. Oh, so okay. I Because I, t- I wanted to do year 12. I, I was uh, finishing year 11 and I wanted to finish high school. But uh, it, uh, four or five weeks later, I think I've got a letter in the mail. That's when, you know, it's before <laughs> email. Yeah,
0: before, yeah. And
1: uh, <laughs> And I got a letter in the mail saying, you've been accepted into the Australian Ballet School. And I asked around and I was the only one, not only the only boy, but I was the only one from South Australia to get in that year. Wow,
0: that's massive. And so
1: I thought, you know what, and my parents, who were totally supportive, uh, they we all sort of thought, this is too good an opportunity to um, to pass up. So little did I know, I tied up loose ends with, this, with my high school and I jumped on a train and uh trained it to melbourne and uh started the ballet school there um in 1988
0: which seems like forever now it
1: does doesn't it yeah so that's sort of as far as dreams go once i got into the australian ballet school then yeah the goal was to get into the australian ballet company and then to try and work my way up the rankings there as as high as i could and uh, after ten years at the Australian Ballet, which was phenomenal, uh, I took a little bit of a break, and uh, then decided to join Sydney Dance Company. Or they had an opening actually, and I was filling in for someone. And then um, everything went really well, and ended up staying at Sydney Dance Company for about seven years.
0: That's, is that where you met? Um, is that where you met Graham Murphy?
1: No, I actually met Graham Murphy at the Australian Ballet. So I think it was 1992, 93, something like that. Uh, Graham was doing uh, his version of Nutcracker
0: uh, for the
1: Australian Ballet. And uh, actually, I just remembered this story recently. We were uh, about to, he was about to create the Sailor's Dance for the Nutcracker. And uh, we were standing around in the rehearsal studio and there were about seven of us. And uh, he said, all right, who wants to go first? And we all looked at each other, and and me being the precocious youngest one there, uh, I said, "Yeah, I'll go." And so away we went. And he was choreographing on me way back then, and I loved the experience. He's he's such a wonderful uh, choreographer, let alone and creator that, mm. uh, and so lovely to work with. That uh, yeah, that's where we first met. And I did another one of his ballets called Beyond Twelve while I was in the ballet, so I knew that. He's somebody I wanted to continue to work with and Sydney Dance Company just uh, was the right place at the right time and and continued my dance career.
0: Well, for those who aren't sure who Graeme Murphy is, he's one of leading uh, the leading directors in Opera Australia's repertoire and he was the artistic director of Sydney Dance Company from, I believe, 1976 to 2007. So, very, very long time. Um, I think he did like something like 50 works or something, even more in, in, in that time. So, his wealth of experience is you know it's a, a massive amount
1: he's he's an encyclopedia he's a creative a creative encyclopedia and not only that he is very sharing and caring and he gives you quite a lot of information but he also wants your your ideas and thoughts and he is very collaborative in that regard and uh, he's been like that ever since I've met him as a dancer and now on the other side as, as his assistant and even as a, as a person and a friend and a mentor, he's, he's been very generous, extremely generous. And I, I am, you know, a, a lot. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think it's always good to have that mentor or somebody that is there to, to guide you, especially if you're, you know, changing careers or, or even just progressing in a career.
1: Yeah. And it, changing, it's funny you should say that like changing a career or should I say the death of your dancing career. That's I was more... going to ask you about
0: this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was going to ask you about this because they say in, in dance, you die twice. Yeah. Isn't it? That's the saying. So that, what, true. what was your story in this?
1: Uh, well, after 10 years with the Australian ballet and seven, uh, roughly seven and a half years of Cindy dance company, my lower back just decided to, well, it decided rather than me decided it's enough. <laughs> I was getting back spasms and I have three level degeneration in my lower back. So that mixed with a lot of partnering and lifting and, um, you know, just the, the, the nature of uh, physical contemporary dance in particular. It became too hard to maintain my body. And uh, so, yeah, I had to give it away. And that was, I, I didn't think I was, uh, I had a problem with it. Uh, I decided to go back home to Adelaide for a while. And that's when it really hit home that I wouldn't be able to perform anymore. Well, I didn't think I'd be able to perform anymore. And so, I missed the the camaraderie and the friendships, and the you know, it's it's a tough lifestyle. Uh, getting up every morning, doing class rehearsals, and and trying to stay positive even though you're you're exhausted. So that part I didn't miss, but I did miss the mixing it with everyone, and also the being on stage and and um, dancing for an audience is is quite phenomenal, especially in those huge. Art centers and Sydney Opera House places, yeah. you know, Lyric Theatre in Brisbane, you know, there and Adelaide and Perth, everywhere we went all around, let yeah. alone internationally as well. So, uh, extremely lucky. But yeah, I did mourn the process of not being able to do that anymore.
0: Yeah, definitely. It would have been, um, well, yeah, a grieving process, isn't it? Um, I know a lot of people went through that, well, recently with the pandemic. You do go through that grieving process of, of loss and I don't think people recognise that in theatre.
1: No, perhaps not. I think, well, no. Well, maybe they do in theatre, but uh, in other work, I think it's a little bit, I don't know, maybe it's easier to transfer some of the skills you have in, yeah. a, in a, I don't know, maybe an office job Yeah. Uh, to other office jobs, but it's not necessarily in dance in particular. you mean, we have those skills of self-discipline and, and artistry and creativity, but that's not necessarily easy to transfer to an office job. I don't think, but
0: yeah, exactly. Like if you're moving out of theater and, and that, that would, yeah, that would be the, the hard yeah. part for sure.
1: Plus. But anyway, I, I managed to move on, which is great.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, let, let's go on to that. So, this was in 2015. Opera Australia asked you to assistant direct and choreograph um, Faust. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Actually, it went uh, just slightly before that. Um, Graham, actually, when I my back injury happened and I said, listen, I can't dance anymore, Graham got wind of it. And he asked me to assist him for his opera, Aida, way back in 2008 when I was stopping dance. So I did that and it was part of the opera conference, which is where all the opera companies in Australia put money into a production and it travels around Australia. Uh, Opera Australia administer that. And so I found myself in Perth with Graham and Janet uh, helping to put on a massive Verdi opera, Aida, which is, you know, huge. Mm. And that's where I started, really, and it, we, it went from Perth to Melbourne and Sydney, Brisbane and Adelaide, and I put it on in all those places and then there was a bit of a lull for a moment, and then, yeah, Opera Australia contacted me to ask if I could revive or assist reviving uh, Faust. And I think it's because it has, I think it's um, ten female dancers and one male dancer. So the dance aspect is really where I had uh, a leg in the door. and. Um, that was also part of an opera conference uh, production, and it did. It went around uh, the country as well. So um, it wasn't with Graham and Janet, but it was a different opera. And I, again, I learned a lot from that too. It was, it was a fantastic experience.
0: The word is out. The Theatre Thoughts Monthly is here and it's your chance to get exclusive giveaways, podcast episodes, reviews and more direct to your inbox. Don't wait until next month. Get this month's Theatre Thoughts Monthly now. It takes two seconds to sign up. Simply head to the link in this episode's description and select the Theatre Thoughts monthly option to fill in your details. It's that simple. You'll receive links direct to this month's edition of Charlotte's Cheap Thrills, early access to an exclusive giveaway only for Theatre Thoughts subscribers and the early goss on our next massive star on the podcast. Now, let's get back to today's episode. So, because you're currently the revival director on Madama Butterfly, could you briefly explain the difference between a revival director and a director? Because I know Graham is the director himself, but what's a revival director? Is there is there a difference between the two?
1: Yes, very much so. So, the director is usually the creator and the the person behind the original ideas and they the, the director would work with the lighting designer the set designer costume designer uh in this case a content inzi- designer for the led screens and they would put it all together and he would um sort of be the conduit between all of those departments plus the singers and uh conductor as well so as a revival director, I need to bring all those elements together and do the same thing, but without changing or minimal changes um, to the production and try and realise Graham's initial vision for the opera. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. See, isn't that funny? Cause I, I, always just assumed like a revival director was, you were directing something that was already like being done and you just were like restaging it. So that's interesting. I love learning all these new things <laughs> is, with theatre. It's so, oh, it's so multifaceted. There's so many things in theatre that you can just kind of learn.
1: Yeah. I mean, there is an element of, uh, because we get different cast Um, you you can't do exactly the same thing on on the previous cast or the the original cast because you've got to let, I think, artists want to do their own thing, but you have to, I, I believe you need to allow them to own the production as well because at the end of the day, I'm not up there singing or performing it. They are. So if they have input that they feel is valuable and it helps create to make the story clearer and they own it and they're going to want to do it more and so that's really my job is to maintain graham's vision but to in- incorporate and include the people that are performing into that vision
0: so with madama butterfly could you give us just um a brief little one of your little spiels about <laughs> Madama butterfly so what's the give us the highlights
1: well, this, this particular production is, is fascinating because it's set in a dystopian future. Uh, and it's about a, a, a sailor Pinkerton who, uh, travels to Nagasaki and wants to enjoy the, the geisha of Nagasaki and marries a geisha called Madama Butterfly or Chocho San, as she's known in, in the, in the score. And they marry and, uh, fall in love, and really uh, Pinkerton jumps back on the boat and heads back to America, leaving uh, Chocho-san there uh, by herself with her uh, servant, or well, not by herself, leaves her there with uh, Suzuki, her servant, and the son that Pinkerton had left behind. And so really the, that's... The basic premise, except for the end, which I guess it's no spoiler alert, but when Pinkerton does come back, he has an American wife and he's there to really take his son back to America with him. And this is devastating to uh, Chocho-san or or Madama Butterfly, and she um, kills herself. So, and that's yeah. the end of the opera. It's, it's not the most uplifting endings, but it's a beautiful uh, setting that happens around it.
0: Yeah. Actually, now you said that, I find this another thing I find interesting about. Theater, because that was just screaming Miss Saigon to me, uh, like the beat by beat, and I was like, "Ah, oh, <laughs> hang on a second, I can see where someone's had a little bit of inspiration." Exactly.
1: I mean, Miss Saigon—it's based on the same story, in the same sense that Rent is based on La Bohème, and uh, yeah, and and those, those sorts of music. Some musicals are. Uh, what's the other one? I yeah. think Traviata. With uh, Moulin Rouge as well, so there's many, you know, many similarities, and uh, I, I like how they make them different takes on these stories. I think it's fascinating, and also I've, I've done the ballet of Madame Butterfly.
0: Very- oh right how how was that to <laughs> how is that different in, in uh, as as your role on it? Yeah,
1: well, um, it was done in the Australian Ballet in the mid '90s. Uh, I think uh, Stanton Welch created the the ballet. And that was my first foray into it, actually, without the singing. So it was an orchestrated right. score by John Lanchbury. And, uh, and I'd never heard the original opera before. So that was my first take on it. And I thought it was absolutely beautiful. The music by itself is, is phenomenal. Uh, and I played the role of Goro, the, the little sort of marriage broker that gets Butterfly and Pinkerton together. And uh, he's a nasty little character, but also really fascinating so uh, yeah i i um it's it's interesting i always find it interesting to see how other people interpret these classic stories
0: yeah i think they're very uh, malleable and you can really change them and do a lot of stuff with them
1: well for those
0: who are going through like a, a theatre transition or um, they're being forced to leave a world that they've worked in and, and been passionately behind, what advice would you sort of give to them to help them make opportunities for yourself, especially in such like a, a smaller section of of entertainment in general, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's a difficult one because I feel, I'm, I don't feel that I'm particularly good at it either. I think especially post two lockdowns, you know, and, and, and post COVID, where the arts community or the arts sector is slowly gathering back its momentum that it had pre-COVID. And um, the audiences are, are just starting to come back as well, but it's, it's taking a bit of time. And I think uh, as audiences come back to the theatre, more opportunities will come back as well. But, you know, it's, it's, there's been, I've been extremely lucky in that Opera Australia have given me a lot of work even post these, uh, COVID times. So as far as creating work for yourself, you really just got to put yourself out there, I think, and, and do your best to try and create something that's, well, it's about creating really. That's what we're here mm-hmm. to do. It's about creating yeah. and however you want to do that, however you feel you can contribute to, to the arts and to, people wanting to come back to theatre or movies or music or singing, whatever it is, I think you just got to put it out there. Be brave and put it out there any way you can. And you'd be surprised at who may or uh, who may come knocking out the door.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's great. I think that's great advice, uh, especially – and I've said this, like, many, many times um, on this podcast. I love that we are, like, slowly gathering speed and uh, people have been stewing in lockdown, they've been creating, and we have – I'm hoping – and we have like a renaissance I, I, I should
1: I should actually take my own advice too and, and put myself out there a bit more as well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm the worst at it. I'm so, I sometimes like, oh, should I do, should ooh. And I And <laughs> maybe it's the lockdown effect having it. Since. Well, it's um, it,
1: it's a brave person to really, you know, when you create something and you put it out there, you're putting an element of yourself out there. And yeah. so it's it's open to criticism. And so it's, it takes a hugely brave effort and a, a brave person to put yourself out there yeah definitely
0: all right well shane we'll thank you so much for jumping on the podcast madama butterfly is playing at the sydney opera house from june 29th to july 30th and you can get your tickets at opera.org.au thank you so much shane for jumping on and having a chat i think that was really enlightening uh oh. and you you i uh, can't wait to um see where else you go
1: thank you very much it's been my pleasure and i can't wait to see where else i go as well <laughs>
0: A massive thank you to Christy Sedham for helping to organise today's episode. Thank you as well to Shane Placentino for joining us on the podcast. Opera Australia's Madama Butterfly plays from the 29th of June to the 30th of July at the Sydney Opera House. Tickets can be booked at opera.org.au. That's it for another episode of the Theatre Thoughts podcast. If you're looking to see more theatre in 2022 and consider yourself to be a writer, why not join our growing team of reviewers? We are currently on the lookout for new writers in Sydney and Melbourne to join our team. You'll gain great experience in writing reviews and expressing your opinions, plus you get to see theatre shows on us. If this sounds like you, email us at team at outlook.com or by contacting us on our website theatrethoughtsoz.online. and we'll see you next time here on the Theatre Thoughts Podcast.